Welcome to Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to serve God and your neighbor. If you want to learn more about our ministry, head over to mapc.com. If you're looking for a community where you can deepen your faith, we invite you to join us every Sunday at 1030 online or in person. The Gospel lesson is written in the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 9. Let us listen for the Word of God. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come to call the righteous. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. While he was saying these things to them, suddenly a leader of the synagogue came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus got up and followed him with his disciples. Then suddenly a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be made well. Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. When Jesus came to the leader's house and saw the flute players in the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand. And the girl got up. And the report of this spread throughout that district. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and Redeemer. Amen. Caravaggio's painting is on the cover of your bulletin today. I know there can be problems with artistic renderings of the Bible. Sometimes too many liberties are taken. I realize, for example, that Matthew and his fellow tax collectors did not dress as they did in the European Renaissance period, as Caravaggio here portrays them. But perhaps by using the dress of the artist's day, Caravaggio intended the original recipients and audience of his painting to understand themselves in the position of Matthew, who was called by Jesus and in turn had his life transformed. Art illuminates themes and ideas, and by providing a unique perspective, that of the artist, it can inspire insights about something we might have once taken for granted or overlooked, no matter how imperfectly. In Caravaggio's painting, Jesus is to the right and a group of men are to the left. 
A beam of light is coming in through the window behind Jesus. Jesus is bringing light into a dark room, interrupting all their lives. As the prologue of John's Gospel proclaims, Jesus is the light of the world. In him was life, and that life was the light of the world. This light transformed those men that day, and Matthew in particular, and through him the lives of many others would be transformed as well. Do you see Jesus' hand pointing in the direction of the group of men? I wish we could magnify it, but looking closely, you'll see that Caravaggio painted Jesus' hand the same way Michelangelo paints the very hand of God in his famous fresco, The Creation of Man, or The Creation of Adam, which is painted as a fresco on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Within the group of men seated at the table, there's an older man with his hand pointed as well, like I'm doing, possibly at himself, as if to say, who, me, are you calling me? Or perhaps more likely, and I believe that this is probably the case, his hand is pointed at the other man, the younger man, with his head downcast, focused on counting the money before him, and his hand gesture is to signal, what, who, him? When Jesus called Matthew, he called the unexpected. It didn't ma matter that Matthew was in a tax collector's booth, and it didn't matter that he was a tax collector, a representative of Rome and everything that was seemingly wrong with Judea. Jesus called Matthew, and Matthew got up, and he followed him. It surprised everyone. But if God can call Matthew, he can call you too. Matthew's Gospel moves quickly to a dinner scene where Jesus eats with his disciples, tax collectors, and sinners. When the Pharisees question the disciples about their choice of company, Jesus responds, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. Jesus doesn't care about the optics of a situation, himself eating with a group that some people in society believed were unworthy or should be thrown aside. Jesus knows that all are in need of him, and he came for those who were aware of their need for them. I would argue that he came for all, but here he is dining with those aware of their need for him. The truth is that all are in need of God's mercy and grace. The only difference is that there are some who are unaware of that need, and in this instance, it's the Pharisees who are so quick to judge. And then there is another group that recognizes their need for something beyond themselves, and that is the group with whom Jesus is eating. The same can be said for us shortly at the Lord's Supper. All are in need of God. And all who recognize that need are welcome to take part in this meal. Some time ago, I was invited to the birthday party of a good friend who was also a church member. Her party was at a local pizzeria, and I remember being seated at a long rectangular table with about 20 others, and seated across the table from me was a young couple who had been attending our church for a few months. We made small talk, but I noticed that they were guarded in their conversation, and I found this unusual based on my previous interactions with them. 
A few minutes into the conversation, perhaps sensing their own awkwardness, they exchanged a look with one another, as if to say what they were both thinking, and they may have whispered this out loud, should we just tell him? And then one of them blurted out, and these are their words, not mine, you are the only normal one here. I was taken aback, surprised, certainly not offended, but certainly puzzled. And they explained that I was the only one at this party who was not in the recovery community. At this dinner and through several interactions, the people I met from the recovery community struck me with their deep faith and humility. We all have shortcomings and imperfections, but those I met in this community were forced to wear their faults and imperfections on their sleeve for all the world to see at this time in their lives. They could not hide their past. Familial relationships were broken, stretched, and scarred. Some had to put, some had to drop out of university, transfer, or put a degree program indefinitely on hold. They had to make considerable lifestyle changes, attending meetings daily. In a very public way, those I met acknowledged their need for help and change in a very public way. They desperately knew their need for something beyond themselves, a strength and higher power. And those who attended the church I served knew that need as God. Regardless of whether our faults and needs are worn like a scarlet letter for all the world to see, or our shortcomings are more easily hidden and smoothed over, none of us are perfect, none are without their faults, and none of us can ever claim to be the perfectly normal one at the table. As Romans 3.23 identifies, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But before we despair, the Apostle Paul continues, we are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption we have in Jesus Christ. As Ephesians 2.8 so famously states, for it is by grace we are saved, not our own works. And as Pierre read for us this morning, it was not through the law that Abraham received the promises of God but by faith and grace, mercy. Recalling Jesus' remarks that those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do, German reformer Martin Luther famously remarked that the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum of saints. We're here because we acknowledge a need for something greater, a need that we cannot provide for ourselves, and it doesn't matter if anyone else knows what that need is. We are all in need of God's mercy. Echoing the Old Testament prophet Hosea, Jesus tells them, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. In other words, Jesus might as well have said, I have come for you all. He came to call Matthew and all of us because the righteous are not the sinless, for all have sinned. The righteous are simply those who fail to know their need for God's mercy. As Jesus dines with their, those aware of their need for God and the merciless Pharisees judge him because of his choice of company, 
a synagogue leader comes and he kneels at Jesus' feet and he models the mercy. And, and here, when Jesus responds to the synagogue leader, Jesus models the mercy that he commends for others. And he gets up and he goes to the synagogue leader's home. And as he was on his way, a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years touched the fringes of his cloak. Suffering from hemorrhages, she had both a social and physical ailment, and she was desperate for healing. The Old Testament law, as it was described in Leviticus 15, instructed the Pharisees and the synagogue leaders to put her out of the community, to understand her as unclean, and anyone who came into contact with her would become unclean as well. And yet, this woman refused to accept the place and the plan that others had for her. She saw potential for herself, and she knew that her life could be transformed, and she was bold, and she was audacious, and she put herself in the presence of Jesus, leaning and trusting on the mercy of God so that her life could be transformed. Reaching for Jesus' cloak, she trusts entirely in the mercy of Jesus Christ. A Pharisee, a priest, or a Levite would have gone crazy. Do you remember the Good Samaritan parable when the priest and the Levite crossed to the other side of the road to prevent themselves from becoming ceremonially unclean? Jesus does not follow their lead. Jesus shows mercy. He's not angry. He's not upset. He doesn't picture himself sullied because she touched him. Instead, he responds to her with mercy, and he says, your faith has healed you. Having been touched by the unclean, Jesus himself will now touch the unclean. Just as he raised Lazarus from the dead, he would bring the synagogue leader's daughter to life. When Jesus told those gathering for a funeral for the young girl to go away, they laughed at him. Likewise, when God told Abraham and Sarah that they would have a child in old age, Sarah laughed to herself. Sometimes faith, which is like what the Apostle Paul describes in our passage from Romans, like hoping against hope. Sometimes our faith and God's plans inspire laughter. They seem silly, naive, perhaps even ridiculous. Sometimes God's promises for ourselves and others are bigger than what we expect from ourselves or for others as well. But if we believe in Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, then we know that nothing is impossible for God. It's why we engage these seemingly insurmountable tasks before us. It's how we get through incredible situations. In today's lectionary reading, Jesus calls Matthew a tax collector, a symbol of power, empire, and Rome. He calls Matthew from his ambivalence and shows him that there is more to counting and collecting money. He shows him a new way of life. Jesus also cures a nameless woman, suffering from a physical and social ailment, and she's the opposite of power, empire, and Rome. She symbolizes the desperate and the outcast, the forgotten, the left behind. Jesus responds to her call, and he affirms her call for transformation over and against a hostile world that was fine to leave her just as she was. 
And Jesus brings back to life the daughter of a synagogue leader whose father represents religion and practice the law, respect and standing in community. And Jesus affirming not the law but the mercy of God to all heals her just the same. In every situation, it's the mercy of God. Not the person, not their accomplishments, not who they are or what they've done, but the mercy of God. Matthew, representing Rome, the hemorrhaging woman, the Gentiles, the synagogue leader, the law, represent a wide demographic, representative of all humanity. But the need for mercy is shared among all of them, just as us with all of our diversity are in equal need for the mercy of God. I've met many people who believe they need to be perfect before they approach God. I may be preaching to the choir right now because you're in our pews, you're in our congregation, but I encounter out there many people who are afraid to step foot in here until they believe they have it all together. They think we're the only normal ones. We know that's not the case. But nonetheless, to them, I would say that this is a misnomer because God accepts us as we are, and it's not our doing that transforms us, but God's mercy. And so we're best to follow the hemorrhaging woman and put ourselves in the way of God. I was once invited to a wonderfully fun event by a couple I knew. They deserved an immediate thank you note, but life got busy and I forgot to mail it. I was then at a dinner party and I saw this couple and when I saw them, my heart sank. I had never thanked them and I was embarrassed. I felt like I owed them something. My first instinct was to avoid them, but deciding that avoiding them would be odd and if they had, a notice, if they had noticed my avoidance, it would only further complicate the relationship, I decided to say hello. And I apologize for not sending a thank you note, but they could care less. We had a great time. I sent the thank you note the next morning. God is not too proud to have us as we are. We owe God something, a thank you, an acknowledgement, something. Actually, we don't just owe God something, we owe God everything. But in turn, what is desired is not sacrifice, it's mercy. Because no greater sacrifice can be made than the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. That is the sacrifice that comes from the mercy of God. I don't have time to get into this now, but to quote Paul Tillich, Union Seminary professor of old, you are accepted. Some of the three most important words you'll hear are God loves you, Jesus loves you, and in turn, you are accepted. It's not who you are or what you've done. It's the mercy of God. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.